0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And I am so happy to be back with you today with a brand new interview. We are talking to Nicholas Pearson today. And I have to say, one of the reasons I had to take a couple weeks off from interviews is because I was going deep into his work and reading his books. So I think this is episode is going to be really enlightening for so many of us who are curious about crystals. Whether you work with crystals or not, you're going to learn a lot about them today, including understanding uh, the divine feminine in a new way. So Nicholas has been immersed in all aspects of the mineral kingdom for over 20 years. And he began teaching crystal workshops back in high school. And then later he started studying mineral science. So he's also a certified teacher of Yusui Reiki Roho. We even share a teacher, our dear teacher, Arjava, And he teaches crystal and Reiki classes throughout the United States. So I mentioned that he's written several books, including the seven archetypal stones and crystals for karmic healing. But today we are discussing his newest book, Stones of the Goddess, Crystals for the Divine Feminine. Now, I also want to let you know that he has written an amazing book on Reiki. So if you are curious about Reiki, already a practitioner, wherever you are um, in relationship to the technique, his book, The Foundations of Yasui Reiki Roho, it's a manual for shoden and okiden, which is level one and level two. That book is so good and rich with information that I actually used it as the manual for the last Reiki class that I taught. So he has a lot of information to share with us today. Today is all about crystals though. And then he will be back at a later date to talk to us all about Reiki. Now, before we get into the interview, there are just a couple of things I want to share with you. I received a few emails asking for more detail about the medical Reiki training that is taking place in October here in San Diego with Raven Keys. So if you go to my website, TheEnergeticAlchemist.com. On the homepage, one of the first things you'll see is a button to click to get more information about medical Reiki. So if you're joining us for that training, be sure to sign up and book your room and all of that information is there for you. I also want to thank you all again for your reviews and ratings on iTunes. It really does help the show grow And it helps us to connect with these amazing guests to keep sharing information that is supporting us on our paths. So I appreciate you taking a moment of your time to do that. And then finally, if you are brand new to the show, I want to make sure that you know you have access to 22 Days of Transformation as well as Creating with the Moon and Stars, which are my two free gifts to support you on your path. And you can access those for free by signing up for my newsletter at TheEnergeticAlchemist.com. So that is all for now. Go ahead and get comfortable and let's talk to Nicholas All about crystals. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today we are here with Nicholas Pearson, who is the author of Stones of the Goddess, Crystals for the Divine Feminine. And Nicholas, first of all, I want to tell you, I'm very excited to have you here today. After reading your books, I'm like, I'm just amazed. So, welcome to Reiki Radio.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to our conversation today.
0: Oh, so am I. So, as um I mentioned in the intro, you are um a Reiki master teacher as well as obviously an expert on stones and crystals and minerals and I really wanted to um, talk to you today about crystals because so many people have questions about them and there's this, I I guess you would say, um, maybe resurgence of connection to the crystals, which you also talk about in the book as um, also this reconnection to the divine feminine. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to ask you first, what even led you into being so connected to minerals and crystals and such?
1: So this is like, uh, it, it's something that's woven into every fiber of my life. I am just interested in crystals from the the scientific, the mineralogical side, from uh, the cultural, historical, anthropological side, as well as the sort of woo-woo, the, you know, how does this feel? What what energies does it have kind of side? And it, it started really early. Um, you know, a lot of people on the spiritual path kind of, have maybe an experience of religion, and that that leads them to go in a different direction later in life. Uh, my father was raised very Catholic, which meant I wasn't really raised much of anything, um, and that gave me an opportunity to kind of explore and think for myself rather than going to church on weekends. We, we went to the library, uh, my dad and I, and that was kind of like our our cathedral of learning. Um, And, you know, one week it might be books on uh, mythology and folklore and fairy tales. And the following week, it might be a stack of books on ancient history. And then, you know, here comes the science. So I've always kind of had an an interest in many different fields at once. But even early in life, I started to see connections between those sort of more mythic or poetic stories and the, the natural phenomena, the science that they were... Uh, representative of and um, e- eventually I just decided that when I made uh, my spiritual path my focus I wanted to keep a foot in both of those worlds because it's really telling the same story with two lexicons two sets of vocab and it's it's just amazing um, but you know my my crystal collection began in earnest maybe around the age of eight uh, before that my grandfather had been uh, uh, kind of observing the fact that I'd been picking up stones everywhere I went, you know, out in the driveway, on the beach, go up to the mountains on vacation. Um, And so he gifted me with my first piece of quartz and that was life-changing. And Mm -hmm. um, suddenly stone was not just this inert substance that was out in nature, but it was, um, you know, just totally magnificent. You have those regular angles, the way the light moves through it. there was something really comfortable and predictable about the the shape, the form, the structure of it, but there was something totally mystical at the same time. It reminded me of something out of, you know, a fantasy story. So, yeah. Um, you know, I've been collecting ever since and, um, I kind of found a way to merge that with my spiritual path um, you know, back in the day when uh, Amazon was not quite so prolific or maybe when it didn't quite exist, you found books on spiritual topics by visiting a local big box retailer. Um, maybe if you got lucky, there'd be a, a spiritual shop nearby. Um, and by the time I was in my teens, uh, I I'd been able to pick up a few books on, on crystal healing and look at some books on folklore on the stones. And I started to just combine that with my own, natural experiences with them and sort of mm-hmm. tell a story and that that led me to teach for the first time at the ripe old age of 18 wow. um, and I have not stopped since.
0: It's interesting hearing you say that because now it, it also um, explains your book itself and the way that it's written and I told you when we spoke before I was amazed at how much I learned just in the first 15 pages of the book. I mean you do an amazing job of blending like, yes, you know, the technicalities of it all, and even explaining and breaking down the difference between stones and minerals and crystals and gemstones. Um, but what I also loved so much about your book was the element of folklore and um even what people believed in ancient cultures and the connection to the divine feminine so while this is a great book to learn about crystals. I can't wait to go more into this with you. But I learned so much about the divine feminine in of itself. And I thought that was um, really fascinating. I mean, it's amazing the way you've structured this book and the way you put it all together. You will, Anyone who reads this will walk away feeling very well informed and I think even more curious um, because of the way the book is structured. So. I had to take notes because that's how juicy this (laughs) book is, right, Um, for the questions I wanted to ask you. So one of the first things I thought was really cool is the way you do break down um, just the basics about crystals. And I want to ask you about that, the different functionality and how we can use them. And even with that as well, what do you think, what is the draw or why do you think that Crystals are becoming so popular again in modern times
1: um, you know let's let's start with that last piece okay i think I think it's so timely because in a way, our society these days is so disconnected from nature, from mother Earth, and so when you know we pick up our 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 favorite stone we are holding a piece of mother nature we can carry that with us we can remind ourselves of our inherent connection to the natural world um you know there's no way to escape the influence of mother nature of the planet itself no matter how high up you are in a skyscraper or how you know hidden you might be in some sort of technological cave um everything around us ultimately comes from natural sources. It gets processed quite a lot, whether it's the, you know, the wood pulp that becomes the paper in the books that we read, whether it is the copper wiring that allows us to have electricity or the, the gypsum, the the selenite that's in our um, uh, uh, plaster in the walls. We we're always surrounded by these natural materials that have just been highly, highly processed. So I think having something in its, in its raw state, bringing that piece of nature into our lives is something that we we really need. Um, And on the other hand, I think there's this sort of primal memory. Um, Stones were our first tools, our first ornaments, our first teachers. Uh, we, we, We kind of poetically think of our earliest ancestors as even living in caves homes made of stone. And um, this is something that's like woven into our DNA. So as as we evolve, as we grow, as we change, and we see the world continuing to adapt, we're calling upon our most ancient teacher, our, our, our longest serving friend and ally in the natural kingdom. Um, and that is the world of stone.
0: That is amazing. So even with that, too, because I'll, I'll say this, for example, I know, you know, so many people are excited for this interview, too, because of the curiosity about crystals and stones. And I think a lot of us find we're just naturally drawn to certain stones or crystals and these things. Um, and that ties into as well, I want to ask you again, you know, how we use them or how they can support us. But in your experience what is that? Like our connection to them? Is it because of our makeup? Is it because of the, because um, you speak in the book too about energy and how when we come into contact with each other and everything, with everything being energetic, that we go into communication with each other. So do you think that's part of the draw to the crystals, the way they're communicating with us, even if we don't consciously understand it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that let's, Let's take a look at that energy piece. Um, when we have systems that are in movement, systems that vibrate, that oscillate, um, they generate fields of energy. Um, so the, the more highly ordered a substance or system is, the more highly ordered its energy field is gonna be. And we call that, that state of, of ordering precision coherency. Um, I am a biological system. I am in a constant state of flux. I am ever-changing. Uh, my, my energy is anything but coherent. <laughs> and that's, that's just the nature of life. So when my energy field comes into contact with something like quartz or calcite or granite, um, it's made up of components that are crystalline that have this regular repeating structure, um, this periodicity to them that creates a very coherent structure and therefore very coherent energy. And when these two things kind of um, overlap, there is a process that can occur called entrainment wherein a, a field will bring one, another field into harmony with it um, based on the amplitude or the, the volume of that signal. In, in the metaphysical world, we talk a lot about frequency, yes. um, but amplitude is a really important part of the equation. So frequency is kind of like the station you tune into on the radio. You've picked your favorite station, you're tuned into your favorite frequency, you're ready to go out into the world. Well, amplitude is the volume knob. It's how far that signal travels Mm -hmm. and highly ordered systems naturally have a higher amplitude. Um, So when we work with crystals, we come into harmony with that. And as we become more ordered ourselves, it's like expanding that light that we radiate or we're cranking up the volume on our energy field. Um, And it's just this beautiful synergy that takes place.
0: Yeah, that is amazing. You remind me of um, two things I wanted to share. I actually thought of you recently in reading your book. Um, I went hiking, and it's not something I normally do, but um, <laughs> I was out in nature, and there were these you know, beautiful trees and these boulder rocks. All of the, It was beautiful, and I felt so drawn to put my hands on these different rocks. Now, normally, I think even honestly prior to reading your book, I think I just thought of, like, crystals as, you know, these um, tools of information, even though understanding that, you know, there's information in all things, right, but I was so drawn to this one rock in particular, and I put my hands on it, and I felt I I was in communication with this rock, and it was interesting, and I thought of you, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to tell him about this experience, but uh, so in all of this like when we are connecting with different crystals and different stones um specifically are we then with what you're saying are we harmonizing with them because they are more stable than we are
1: in in theory yes okay Uh, you know we're gonna find those stones that are their their energy signature is so far removed from ours that instead of immediately drawing us into that state of harmony, they actually create dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all we've all felt that 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 beautiful gemstone. We thought it was going to be wonderful. We picked it up, and you know that feeling the pit of your stomach goes, or maybe your head hurts, or you just immediately have this uh, revulsion to it. Those are probably our greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's great to find the crystals that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that immediately take us into that entrained state, state where we're harmonized with it. But it's the ones that are really dissonant, the ones that really um, shake things up, that represent something so far outside of yourself that it is a lesson that maybe your soul has never mastered.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and the, those are the really profound teachers. Um, And it's not an instant, Hey, let's sync up and we're on the same uh, wavelength. Great. Let's, let's go through life. It's, it's definitely one of those things where we have to kind of approach it respectfully. Um, That's why a lot of these really, um, I will say high vibration or high frequency crystals that, that people um, rave about can be so jarring at the beginning because it's an an energy so far outside of our ordinary everyday life. Um, So Yes, they they do bring us into harmony, but oftentimes it's the ones that are so far removed from our natural state um, that that cause anything but harmony in the beginning that can be really profound healers.
0: Wow. So is it in a sense, um, even you saying it that way, that if we pick up a particular stone and maybe we don't feel um, connected to it, or it does feel uncomfortable to us, is it bringing forward, maybe like coding our information in our field that we have suppressed, like that type of?
1: Yeah, that can totally be it. Um, So, um, you know, all crystal structures from a sort of metaphysical standpoint have these five essential crystal functions. uh, which which we started to get to earlier and never got around to. Um, and one of those is really based on like the optics of of crystals and they both reflect and they refract. And that that allows them to show us what's happening under the surface. Um, so, you know, you pick, pick up your favorite piece of quartz, hold it in sunlight, you're going to get the right angle, the critical angle. Um, it's called in the whole face will go white and reflect light into your eyes. Um, you can't see into the crystal anymore. So that's, that's kind of... Um, a a symbolic representation of what's happening energetically Mm. when we approach things from the right angle they can show us you know what's happening at the surface level or below and they're able to take that light that we emanate and redirect it back to the conscious mind so we can become aware of it that 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 level, um, of, of everyday thought. Um, but by the same token, you know, if we change the angle, light passes through that crystal and it breaks that white light into all of its incident components. Um, and so we create beautiful rainbows. Um, another way that refraction occurs is not by breaking light into its spectrum, but by bending the angle it goes through. Um, and so, um, you know, crystals, and and things with crystal structures have this ability to do that as well show us the component pieces of an underlying pattern as well as change the way the pattern is moving altogether. Um, you know if we if we follow that um, hermetic principle of correspondence you know as above so below as below so above and so on and so forth the things that we see evidenced in the material plane are going to be representations of things that are happening in the immaterial planes um, and that's why approaching crystals from that sort of scientific viewpoint can be so helpful because we can see um, the the models of how it's going to work.
0: That's interesting you say. So it, it brings me to uh, wanting to ask you about how we work with them in two very specific ways, right? So on one hand, a lot of people use crystals in like obtaining information or even accessing their unconscious mind, even reading, right? Like people do scrying or Um, I tend to hold this crystal in particular when I'm meditating and these types of things. So on one hand, what is, what can be revealed to us with crystals and through crystal work is the information within our own fields, right? But then on the other hand, say like in the book, um, there's a section where you talk about crystals with magical practices and as well as, uh, in ritual, which was amazing too. It seems like we have this other relationship aspect of relationship we can go into with them where then we're more, um, highlighting what they can do. So, I mean, not just, you know, revealing to us what may be in our field or in the field of someone that we're reading, but like using grids and these types of things, then there's this whole other aspect of how crystals can be used and amplified, right? So could you talk to us about those two different ways and how we can use them to support us in these different practices?
1: Sure. So, um, you know, there's a common thread through all of the ways that we work with crystals and that, that common thread is conscious relationship. Okay. Um, you know, I can, I can throw a string of amethyst beads around my neck and go about my day and never give it a second thought. And I'm sure I, I, I guarantee you the amethyst is doing something behind the scenes, but, instead of treating it as an inert tool, if I approach crystals respectfully, I'm going to recognize that they have a life cycle of their own. And no, I'm not talking about biological life and um, consciousness in the same way that we have, but there is an essence, a spark, a soul to all things that have form, whether it's physical form, we can lay our hands on or form in other realms. And so if we remember this and we frame our work with crystals with that idea, then instead of Doling out instructions to this tool or just wearing this tool to have with me in case I need it um, I really have to be a little bit mindful about what what mission the crystal has It's had a much longer life than I've got um, And it will continue long after my this physical form of mine is is gone. So um, When we when we think about things this way we can come into that conscious relationship and whether we're doing um, the sort of personal meditations wearing them carrying them um, sitting with them or doing more complex things the more externally focused things like creating grids or um, maybe making crystal elixirs or using them in a therapeutic context with ourselves or our clients Um, you know it's that idea of conscious relationship i i would be remiss if I started to use a crystal on a client before I'd done any work with it on myself, because I need to forge that that friendship. It's it's a lot like, um, you know, meeting a new human being. You know, we can send a text here or there um, and, and just know them on a very superficial level, but we really have to invest time and effort into that relationship if we want to get anything out of it you know, show up for coffee, be there when they need us. They'll be there when we need them. And, you know, that becomes so much more meaningful than, a you know, passing, hey, what's up kind of text. Um, And it's the same with our stones. You know, it's great to stick it in your pocket and have it with you as you go about the world, but, you know, check in with it. Um, And don't just give it instructions. Take time to listen.
0: Mm. That's really good advice. And I think that'll be helpful for a lot of Uh, listeners as well, because I don't know that we all consider going into relationship with the stones as much as we, you know, you'll hear people say like, oh, rose quartz is for love. And so people will just, you know, stick the stone or give the stone for those particular things, but not necessarily connect with them, like you're saying. Um, So when you say that too, it reminds me of you talking about Uh, dedication and consecration with the uh, stones themselves so can you talk about ways that we can start to build these relationships or set intention this conscious relationship that you're talking about
1: yeah so um you know I would say when I was really going down the the rabbit hole with crystals for the first time, um, a lot of the better texts that were available on the U.S. market were being um, written by English authors. At that point, they already had um, a lot of infrastructure for training on crystals and, um, you know, into the early 2000s as well. there's like a whole piece of the puzzle, a whole part of their methodology that never really translated to North America on a widespread scale and It's the idea of dedication and um in my in my magical practice um this this seems very parallel to the idea of consecration, which literally means to make sacred and it's after you get your new stone, you cleanse it for the first time, even before you use it for anything in particular. Dedication is the idea that you are devoting this sacred tool this sacred being um to work that is going to be for the highest good of all parties involved um, that it will be never misused that uh, essentially what you're saying is i respect this crystal and in return that crystal will respect me um and so we can do that with a you know very simple you know cleansing sitting in meditation and just affirming that um, and holding space for the crystal to affirm that back to us. Yes. Um, even if we don't hear words, see colors, have any sensation in our hands, if we still quiet the mind and give space, it's going to happen. Um, sometimes we have to fake it till we make it, um, especially uh, depending on which kinds of maybe intuitive faculties or psychic faculties we've got. Um, we don't all receive information or confirmation the same way. Um, so that, that can be this wonderful open door to saying, hey, you know what, I really value, love, and respect this presence in my life. And it's not just this inert tool that I'm going to use as a means to a specific ends.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, um, hearing you say that too, and I just want to let everyone know if they are curious about some of these um, aspects we're talking about, you go into great detail about all of it within the book. And one of the things I wanna ask you about now too are crystal grids specifically. And I know um, a lot of people are interested in them. I have a friend that, I mean, she grids for everything. And um, I think the grids are fascinating in that, uh, from my understanding of them, it seems like you can not just amplify energy around certain intention or connection to like, even in your book, talking about connecting to the goddess itself, you know, herself, but that the energy is continually generating, you know, like different than like us, where we may think of something walk away and then it's just like out of sight, out of mind. Right. But you give great detail and steps of how to do all of these things. So with grids, um, I thought it was really interesting that in one of them specifically I saw, and you do talk about this in several of them actually, about the the order of the stones and the shape of the grid on top of the different elements you can include, not just the right stones, but you know other elements in creating the grid. So do you have some, um, I guess you say like basic tips for people about grids and why we would even create them?
1: Sure. So um, let's talk about what a crystal grid is first and foremost, for those who might not know. So like in, in, in my sphere, I, I define a grid as an intentional geometric arrangement of crystals um, made for a specific outcome. Um, now, a lot of these things can kind of have flexible parameters on them. The specific outcome might be just entering into conscious relationship with my stones and intuitively letting them tell me where they need to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the grid is for other than that connection, but that's still intentional. Yes. Um, and um, you know, we can't pull our stones out of our pocket at the end of the day and just kind of drop them on the dresser and call that a crystal grid either. Yeah, there's probably some geometry to that, yes. um, but it's not quite as intentional. There's no conscious uh, direction as far as an outcome goes. So um, grids can be simple. You need arguably I'd say at least three crystals to make a grid. Um, but you can have, you know, hundreds, I've made grids that take up entire rooms. Mm. Um, you know, I had some really tolerant roommates in college <laughs> and, um, you know, you, they can also be really petite. You can make little mini sized grids that you can place in a safe place. Um, um, somehow affix them to something that you can carry with you even. Um, so grids are these amazing tools because they are subject to the law of synergy, wherein, um, something, uh, a a whole entity is greater than the sum of its parts. So when we work with crystal grids, it's not an additive thing where the the frequency and amplitude of this crystal is added to the frequency and amplitude of this crystal and the next one and so forth. It becomes exponential, it becomes multiplicative, and that allows us to create a a greater sphere of influence. Um, Grids can be Um, almost like mandalas that reflect things from our subconscious. We can use them like magical sigils. Um, In this book, I took kind of a different approach to my grid making and made them a little bit more um, symbolic in their form and structure to to have that sort of magical feel like some sign or glyph that's taken from uh, astrology or alchemy or, or, you know, just sort of the collective conscious. Um, But we can also be really formulaic about it. And I tend to be more on that side or very free form. I don't mm-hmm. often occupy that that middle space. Um, and we can look at things like the, the geometry, the numerology, um, the relationships of the stones from one to another. Um, you can look at color and size and, and shape of the stones themselves, as well as the outer form. Um, in my my next book, coming out hopefully soon, um, that will go a little bit more into detail into that more formulaic side. But one day I wanna have a whole book just on grids because um, they're so profound and it, it it really speaks to relationship in general. Um, If we get such big effects from a few crystals added together in a cohesive way, imagine what happens when human beings do the same thing and we come together and we have that um, level of coherency as a group. Right. Big ripples in the universe.
0: You just made my mind go in 10 different directions. One, I just want to say really quickly, if anyone goes on Amazon and you look um, up his book, uh, this one in particular, The Stones of the Goddess, this is the one we're discussing. But, you know, Amazon gives you the option of clicking on the author. Click on Nicholas Pearson because he's written several books (laughs) about um, crystals and such. And you also, I do want to point out as well, this book, um, Foundations of Reiki Rojo, this book that you wrote was so good that I actually used it as a manual for the last Reiki class that I taught. Yeah. Amazing book. So just want to show this. And of course I'll put links in the show description so people can um, find them very easily. But um, one of the things that you said in that as well, you know, it, it made me really think about that communication again like what you were speaking about before because while the intention that we may have in building a grid and how it is working it's it's interesting that like our consciousness can uh work together with the consciousness of the crystals and just how it, i think it highlights our nature in a way that we don't tend to think about absolutely yeah yeah uh, it's that's very, very interesting, so you also talk about, and you just uh, reminded me of this the charm bags that you speak about in the book as well, in ways that we can it's almost like the little medicine bags that people carry, right so yep. I want to ask you about that, and I have a client who actually she jokes and calls them her bra crystals, but she takes one of the little Tiffany bags and she puts crystals whichever one she chooses for the date and she literally carries them around in her bra in a little thing but these little uh charm bags of crystals how what do you recommend that someone may create this for or use it for wearing it on their person
1: yeah so um these kind of magical pouches have um parallel histories in a lot of different parts of the world. We see them as like the, the the pouch from um, the Afro-Caribbean traditions as charm bags, mojo bags, um, spell pouches. They get tons of different names depending on the culture of origin, but um, these are like portable spells. It's a way for you to create this ritual tool that becomes a, a physical token to remind you of the magic that is innate within you you know these are external tools but they're really reflecting the magic happening in our heads and in our hearts and and above and beyond Um, so uh they're also subject to that law of synergy the ingredients that we combine together can be very simple or very complex um but they they enter into relationship with one another um when i talk about this in the book i give you some specific instructions some think of them as kind of like recipes. Mm-hmm. So, um, the herbs, oils, the stones, anything else that might be in there is uh, chosen pretty intentionally. Um, so generally if, if we want to devise these for ourselves, especially if we're a relatively, um, newcomer to this type of magical tradition, get yourself a couple of reference books on, on the other ingredients you might use. So since the goddess will have, uh, tons of correspondences for crystals, but you might wanna look into herbs or essential oils or um, you know other tools that you feel comfortable adding, um, and you can just kind of line them up. There is definitely an art to it, and I'm no expert in the art of crafting these things. These were inspired by my, my very simple personal practice, uh, but uh, spell patches can be great. Um, they can be a very permanent thing. You know, I I tie them up and that's it, it's sealed. So you probably don't want to put your favorite crystal into a pouch like that. Um, And then, you know, we see things like the the medicine bags and medicine pouches, um, especially among the native peoples of of the Americas. Um, But these these are, you know, ever evolving and changing in some cases. They're full of stones that we might take out and use in ritual meditation or healing. Um, They might be more of like this, um, totem of our spiritual power that we just carry with us. So something like that can be a little bit more, um, collaborative. It can be something that, um, is more customizable over time. So, um, but both are great ways to bring our stones with us into the everyday.
0: You know, as you're saying that too, it reminds me of going back to you talking about um, entrainment in the beginning, the same client in particular, I mean, she would have them, you know, in her bra, in her pockets, and in Reiki sessions, she would hold one in each hand, and she and I had the most amazing sessions together, and now, you know, having this conversation with you, it was interesting that... Because obviously there was the influence of the crystals as well. And she and I would literally have the same visions, the same, I mean, the experiences of um, our connection beyond, you know, (laughs) the conscious mind in those sessions were just unreal that we started to joke about like, oh, I wonder what we're going to see today, what the crystals are going to reveal to us today. But they really, I mean, those sessions were unlike any other that I've ever had. And um, we both knew that the crystals were a part of it. And even though, you know, at the time, I I wasn't in relationship with her crystals, they definitely still had an impact on me just yeah. by being in that state.
1: Absolutely, and, and you know, I think we could probably use the associative property here. Your client was in relationship with her crystals, you were in relationship with her client, and mm. therefore, if if you and her were synced up, and she and the stones were synced up, you and the stones were synced up too. Um, uh, the the crystal is amazing in the way that it works like that because um, they don't have egos, they don't have expectations, they don't have um, the sort of malleable worldview that we do. So they're just there. They're beings of service. So um, you know, even I'm sure those tiny little ground up pieces of of selenite in our walls, in the drywall, the the gypsum crystals is still there holding light um, because they're just so service oriented like that.
0: That is amazing. So one of the things too, I have to ask you about, especially because there is so inf- so much information in the book about the goddess. Um, one of the things that you said that I've, I'm hoping you'll elaborate on in the book, you said the goddess herself changes and adapts to the ebb and flow of consciousness. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's so Interesting. So, I wanted to first ask if you can let everyone know how the goddess is even referenced in this book in relationship to crystals. Like, what is that connection to goddess and crystals?
1: I suppose it's probably about time we get there, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. The goddess, she's right there in the title. Um, uh, So you know, I I grew up as a queer person without a firm religious background of my own, and I I never really felt comfortable with this idea of some old white dude with a beers, beard sitting on a throne in the sky, watching everything that I was doing and knowing every thought that came into my head. I mean, the idea of this was mortifying. Um, but, but it also felt like, wow, all of these people have this imaginary friend who's not very friendly. Like, I don't get it. Right. Um, so... When I started to sample from the buffet of world spiritualities and religions, um, the things that really held my sway the longest were uh, earth-based spiritual paths. Um, you know, I, I for a long time have self-identified as as a pagan and a witch, and those things have kind of come and gone. You know, they were really strong labels for me in my teenage years and early twenties, and then they didn't mean anything to me anymore because I didn't have the time or energy to focus on my craft. Um, I was, I was no less spiritual, but I'd found other tools. You know, I studied esoteric Buddhism and, you know, lately it's like Japanese folk religion that has my heart. Um, And we'll save that for another day. (laughs) Um, But uh, I, I've kind of come back into a a more conscious partnering with the great mother. Um, The idea of divinity being plural felt really good to me. The idea of divinity not being relegated to a specific gender expression felt really good to me Mm -hmm. um, in those early days. And, no matter what labels I've used or disused, um, those have been themes that have stuck with me. And um, I consider myself a bit of an animist. I, I believe there's an animating force, spark, soul consciousness in, in all things that have form, whether it's manifest physical form in the material plane or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, it only makes sense that, um, you know, again, if we go back to those hermetic teachings, if, if we look at the first one, the, the principle of mentalism, everything is mind first. Well, there's got to be one mind that thought of us all, the the heart mind of creator. And if this is something that I conceive of everything in the manifest and unmanifest worlds, it's way too big for my little tiny human brain to wrap around. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a common thread through human history. And so we've had to compartmentalize that. And we've had to kind of say, wow, this thing is bigger than all of us. We're all part of it. We're not separate from it, but it's it's too big for us to conceive of. And so we start to break that down. We, we, we break it apart. We put it through the prism, through the crystal, and we see the component race. So we see the masculinity. We see the femininity. We see the androgyny. We see the things that are above and beyond those things. Um, and then we start to see separate faces or identities or personalities that are manifest within those individual streams as well. And that's kind of in in my in my personal worldview, how we kind of end up with all these different pantheons Mm -hmm. of of deities. Um, I'm not really a hard polytheist or a soft polytheist. I'm somewhere between the two because I believe the gods are as separate as you and me. Mm -hmm. So here we are separate, you know, separate bodies. We're talking from separate parts of the country, but I don't believe you and I are really all that separate either. So um, connecting to the goddess for me has been uh, a really life-affirming thing um, it's allowed me to own my own kind of liminality in a heteronormative society, in a very, um, you know, a, a, a world that isn't always friendly to people like me, mm-hmm. um, to recognize that even even other people who may not be aware of it have these, these twin streams of divine masculine and divine feminine within them, and that these are part of something also bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, and so when we look at the goddess through this lens, we see that she is... Um, On the one hand, static, because she is everywhere all at once and eternal. But she manifests through the world of change, the world of form. Things crumble. Things are born. She's there in those places, too. And when we look at the roles that goddesses have played through human culture and history, um, the most pervasive is the theme of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to any culture in the world that has honored the divine feminine, you're probably going to see some manifestation of the, the goddess who is the soul of the planet itself and all that dwells within and with on and above it. So when I hold a piece of, of rock, of stone, a handful of sand, I am touching part and parcel of the divine body of the mother. And all of a sudden, when, when you look at it that way, you know, we hold that stone. I'm holding a cell of the being that is the whole universe itself. That's a really profound thing. And, um, you know, that's kind of one of those, those ideas that still is too big for our minds. So you kind of get it in waves like, Holy crap, this is, I'm, I'm touching the goddess, Mm -hmm. but you know, in a Reiki session, when I lay hands on myself or on a client, I'm also touching the goddess. Um, when I breathe, the goddess fills my lungs. When I see the photons that hit my retina, those are part and parcel of the body of the goddess too. So, um, Stones of the Goddess was born out of the, the sort of inner work that I was doing, but also the, the need for it in the outer world. You know, we live in this, society we live in, we live in a global culture that systematically oppresses oppresses women that oppresses people of color that oppresses um you know non cisgendered non-heterosexual people um <laughs> people who are non-patriarchal and, and non-monotheistic um and you know the goddess is the champion of us all she she doesn't care whether or not we worship her outright um her symbols are everywhere we walk on her body we cannot be separate from her and um, stones are such a clear and simple and direct way to remind us of her presence. So Stones of the Goddess was kind of born out of that, the the need to bring her into the 21st century.
0: You are amazing. <laughs> and it's so fun. I mean, listening to you, I have to tell you, part of me, I was so excited to have this conversation. And another part of me, I was nervous because I was like, man, there's so much I want to Talk to him about, and there's no way we could fit it into an hour because you are, <laughs> you're just so fascinating, and all of this comes through in your writing, which is I, your books are unbelievable and how well written and how informative they are. But when you just said that, it reminded me of this other part in the book um, where you speak about rocks and minerals facilitating the return of the great goddess. And so, um, I wanted to ask you about that too. I mean, do you think that? us seeing this um, this you know reconnection to crystals and the fascination with them is that also bringing us into like deeper communication with this goddess energy and the need for it at this time
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, as above, so below, The if you look at what's happening with like the mining industry, the, the new things that are coming out of the earth, you know, I say new, they're new to us. They've been inside the earth for a very long time. But it's as if they've been held in sacred trust. They've been incubating in the womb of the Great Mother until the time at which the collective reality mm-hmm. was in either dire need of them or had evolved enough to receive them. And sometimes both of these things can be true at the same time. So when we connect to the, the newest crystals on on the healing market, or even in the you know, mineral specimen market, we're seeing that they reflect this brand new chapter of, of uh, goddess presence in the universe. You know, she is eternal, but she is ever-changing, and that's one of the great mysteries. Um, and so when we kind of connect with these stones, they're evolutionary, and the thing that makes them so evolutionary is the way that they're here to help us anchor and return to honoring the divine feminine. I, I don't propose that any crystal is the magic bullet for everything wrong with society. I don't believe that just sitting down and bowing down before the goddess is going to magically make the fabric of, of society better again, but I think they help. I think if we look at the lessons that these newer stones are providing, if we connect to um, the the deeper meaning of honoring the divine feminine we will be more respectful of one another we will be um in better relationship with the planet and take better care of our home i think that they are tools that can inspire us to grow and um you know the world is a pretty dire place to be right now mm-hmm. uh, we don't have the luxury of time that you know two generations ago had you know they they, they won't see the profound changes that we will see Um, and it's, it's time to act now. And, you know, the, the crystals that are coming out that support this sort of new goddess frequency are, are not really just gentle reminders. Hey, evolution's a good idea. They're like imperatives. you got to do this. you got to step up. Um, and we have to use that goddess energy. Well, I should rephrase this. We should allow the goddess energy to use us as her instruments to affect this change in the here and now, to heal the broken and fragmented divine masculine, and to achieve that greater unity when the two come together and create that that bigger whole.
0: Oh, that is so beautiful. I'm glad you said that because I, t- I actually think about that a lot in my personal practice, how there seems to be um, this deep healing and reconnection with the divine feminine, but it also you know uh, highlights the importance of the healing of the divine masculine in all of us as well. But um, what you're saying also reminds me of how in the book so people know you do reference several different stones and you talk about their elemental signatures and um even how like the cultural correspondence to the meanings that we give to the different stones whether it be energetic or because of what they are symbolic of and you list a lot of stones I've never even heard of I mean it's really it's amazing um how much detail and just how much, again, you get from this book. But when you were saying that, it reminds me of, you know, as we connect with these stones and the information that they may unlock within us, then as we become more unlocked or awakened, right? We start to then amplify the same coding or information. And just like you said, you know, kind of like the human grid, like we start to come online by way of, you know, the support of nature and stones and mother earth. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of amazing when you think of that, like seeing us all kind of lighting up in the impact that has.
1: Yeah. I, you know, when I become a more fully self-actualized human being, I am unconsciously giving permission to the people around me to do the same. Mm-hmm. If the tool that I use to do that is Reiki, that's wonderful. If the tool that I use that used to do that is is you know the mineral kingdom that's also wonderful if it's color therapy sound therapy meditation um you know whatever the tools are they they get us there but the 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 bottom line is that when we work on ourselves when we create this um more conscious awareness of of how what we do creates ripples then we are really impelled to do that work um when when i work on me it's not just for my personal benefit i mean obviously I am directly benefiting, but the world around me, if I have less brokenness, less baggage, the world as a whole has less brokenness and less baggage. And that's kind of the message of the great mother. Like we're all in this together. We are all her children, whether you are an ant or an antelope or anything in between or above and beyond, whether you're a single blade of grass or the whole forest, you are you are part of the great mother. You are her child. And, um, you know, the mineral kingdom has never forgotten this. Um, we, we are born in forgetfulness. It is our, our duty to forget so we can remember. And, um, you know, I, I picked up this piece of, of quartz. It doesn't decide on a Monday morning when its alarm goes off at seven o'clock that, oh God, quartz is a terrible gig. I'm going to put it my tooth. I'm going to try out being hematite from now on. No, they, they know their life's mission, their purpose. They, they very faithfully put that out to the world at all times. I have the choice to, to be my authentic self or not. And there's no judgment there from the higher realms. I, I just get to do that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the general kingdom so perfectly reflects to us our own light, our own truth, um, that it can help us course correct, help us come back home to center. And when we do that, the world is a better place. It doesn't matter what your path is. If you live that path with authenticity, the world heals.
0: Yeah, that that is such a beautiful message. Um, And there are a couple of things I want to ask you before we go, because we have about 10 minutes and I do want to make sure I ask you about the different shapes, right? So, you know, like I have, I love clusters for some reason. These are clusters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love them. I'm drawn to them for some reason, but then, you know, of course there are the spheres and all of these different shapes, um, double terminated depending on the type of work that we want to do with crystals or the way we want to communicate with them. Do the shapes matter based on our intention or, you know, cause people do wonder, does it matter if it's polished or, um, raw state Does any of that matter?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> so um, let's say you have this beautiful um, double-terminated quartz crystal and then a quartz crystal sphere, and both are the roughly the same mass and the same quality. Maybe they're both absolutely flawless and huge. Um, the fundamental energy signature of a crystal is determined by factors that we can't really see with the naked eye for the most part. Things like um, its formation process, its uh, internal Uh, makeup and crystal structure. And then everything else is kind of like icing on the cake. So no amount of rubbing or grinding or shaping the exterior changes those those internal molecular things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it will have the same base note that it sings at all times but the shape of it can determine the way that energy is distributed. You know, do we have speakers pointed in all directions, like a sphere? Do we have speakers mm-hmm. pointing in a single direction, like a wand? Do we have um, a, a symphony of, of many points together in a cluster? So, you know, form and function are interrelated. Um, so, you know, if we're laying something on the body, it's nice if it's flat. It's also nice if it's not too heavy. If we want to put something in the pocket, it should be durable. It should be you know, hopefully not sharp and pointy. So there are really practical, mundane considerations. Um, we don't want to crush our clients to death with our, our most powerful, heaviest rocks. Um, but, you know, from the energetic side, uh, you know, if we have something that is directional, you know, that idea of a, a single point or even a double point when it's got that termination energy naturally flows through that. Naturally, um, energy is going to flow in other ways around this, but that's where it is the, the most... Uh, noticeable. Or um, mm-hmm. something like this Sphere is going to radiate more gently in all directions. So we want to keep those things in mind. Um, and then from the more symbolic side, shape speaks to the subconscious, which speaks in language, uh, the language of symbols. So, you know, we might marry a symbolic meaning to our work as well.
0: I just want to point out for everyone as well, you do talk about that in the book. I just wanted to ask you so, so that you could share, and you do go into detail about the different shapes. But I was so I'm glad to hear that from you, um even in our last conversation, you talking about the song doesn't change because I did have this funny feeling when I first was introduced to crystals of thinking the polished ones were um you know th- maybe they were too tampered with and they wouldn't have right. the same effect, so it was really good to hear that that the song doesn't change, and um understanding how the different shapes amplify and direct the energy in different ways. So thank you for sharing that. But I have to ask you, do you personally have a favorite stone?
1: Oh, or crystal? Yes, <laughs> I do. Um, you know, I, when most people ask me this, they, they either get the politically correct answer of, you know, I have lots of favorites. They're all my children. <laughs> you can't pick favorites, but, but we know every mom has their favorite kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, so um, my, my absolute favorite is Peter Zeit. Um, it's a distant relative of Tiger's Eye. Um, it's not in this book, but it's in a couple of my others and it's just absolutely enchanting. It's called The Tempest Stone because it kind of looks like these swirling storm clouds and it helps us weather the storms of life. It's all about um, change and evolution and transition um, and personal power and personal truth at the same time. It's got this real deep kind of like Scorpio energy with that pursuit of truth. Um, but if I were to pick my favorite goddess-oriented stone from this book, it's a really tough choice. But it, it might be it might be lapis lazuli only because um, that has been such a big teacher for me in my life. It is actually I think the the only crystal um, that has made it through every single one of my books, including my Reiki book. There's a tiny mention of it um, when I discuss. Um, One of the Reiki symbols. Tiny mentions, so it makes sense.
0: That is really cool. And, you know, I I have to tell you too, um, I was surprised to see. So, my ring that I wear, a lot of people assume it's an emerald, but it's a savorite garnet. And garnet is my birthstone, but I had never seen green garnet before, which, you know, blew my mind. And a lot of people, when I tell them that's what it is, they look at me kind of like, what? Um, so I was really excited to see that you spoke about that in the book I was you know because I've not seen yeah. anyone talk about it um, but it also makes me think of uh, I I like uh, this conversation with you but reading the book in that I think it uh, reconnects the respect of all crystals minerals all things because there is a lot of judgment right like you know like that for example like if someone thinks this is an emerald and i say it's a garnet because garnet isn't a precious stone they're like oh you know and it's like but right. they're still such they're beautiful no matter what type of crystal they are and they all have this song that you speak about so i like that for me personally in reading your book it has um given me that awareness to have a different level of respect for the mm-hmm. crystals and to make more of an effort to go into relationship with them and understanding them outside of the way we categorize them as like precious semi mean precious or like just just a rock or whatever right. it may be.
1: Yeah, you know, um there are a lot of just plain old rocks that i've picked up in my life that have had great stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um but geologically when you look at what's happening in them or from a maybe more mystical perspective and and even in this book um there's a uh, an invitation in there in the chapter on the triple goddess of stone to just get to know an igneous rock. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful gem quality uh, mineral specimen formed by igneous processes. Just go out and find an igneous rock, a sedimentary rock, a metamorphic rock and use that to connect to those archetypes of, of maiden mother and crone. Um, There's, there's so much we can learn from the mineral kingdom. And I think the biggest one is the lesson of stillness Um, with, with few exceptions, rocks don't move quickly. Um, you know, maybe some are created by some some pretty big movement, but accepting the um, the action of external stimuli they're all about just being present, and if we slow down and we find that same stillness, magic happens, healing happens
0: yeah that okay, so I do want to ask you this too, because I said at the beginning this book again, as a reader, and in my opinion, it seems like an amazing book for anyone who is interested in crystal, but also learning about the goddess. I mean, that in of itself, um, it serves both purposes. It's amazing. But for you, I have to ask before we go, what, what inspired you to write this and who is it for? Like, who was this book dedicated to really?
1: Oh man. Um, you know, this was an idea that like popped into my head when I was uh, kind of between other projects. I, I was um, still actually enmeshed in some of the early editorial work for Foundations of Reiki Riojo. And I didn't really have time to sit down and, and do much else, but it was that, that little voice in the back of my head that wouldn't leave me alone. I'm like, okay, great, I'll jot some notes down, but we'll see. And it felt like a big departure from my other books in some ways. Um, and I wasn't really sure if it was the right fit, um, but you know, I'm seeing this resurgence of interest in the goddess. I'm seeing this necessity for it. So I think like, who is the book for? You know, as, as an author, you want it to be for everybody. You want everyone to rush out and buy one. But that's, that's kind of a, an unrealistic expectation. Um, I think this book is for people who want to take their crystal practice to new levels, who want to learn about new stones that have never been published about before. It is great for um, people whose magical and spiritual practices include honoring the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to to be in some ways very scholarly, so that way further researchers on either of these fields can use it. Um, but I, ideally, the book is for the goddess. Um, when I sat down to do my writing, and especially my editing, at the, at the behest of a, a dear friend of mine, um, I would make space beforehand, go to my altar, light a candle, sometimes some incense, and say, okay, I I dedicate this time as devotional work to the goddess. You know, I'm not making you a great offering. I'm not sacrificing any goats here. Um, So I'm giving of my time, my energy, my keyboard. Um, And so the book really is for her. I mean, for all intents and purposes.
0: Oh, that is so beautiful and i have to say again and you just mentioned this book but i just want to show everyone again this book that you have foundations of reiki roho manual of Shoden and okiden um this if you can even see look how many tabs i have on here yeah i mean
1: it's
0: a, yeah it's a it's amazing this book so anyone who is interested in Reiki, practicing Reiki, even if you're a Reiki teacher, this book is a great resource. Like I really I used it as a um, manual for the last class. And then again, Stones of the Goddess, Crystals for the Divine Feminine. Um, I have to tell you, Nicholas, I'm excited to create my own crystal elixir. I'm going to go for the Isis one. Yeah, so much good stuff in here. And I thank you so very much for coming to share your work with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me it's been a beautiful conversation
0: yes and i am going to put the links of how to contact you in the show notes of course but can you just tell everyone if you know if they want to learn more about your work right now what's the Mm -hmm. best place to go
1: Hmm. so um i have a pretty rudimentary website it's www.theluminouspearl.com you can also find me on facebook with a the luminous pearl page as well as on instagram Um, You can check out my publisher's website, innertraditions.com, and also head on over to Amazon. My Amazon author page has a bunch of my upcoming events, um, both here in North America and beyond. So, um, you know, stay tuned to some of those places, and you'll see some great things coming.
0: Oh, thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to say now, hopefully you'll come back to talk Reiki with us as well. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Nicholas. Bye. Hey, I just want to say a very special thank you to Nicholas again thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us again I learned so much in this book about crystals and I am looking forward to creating my own elixir and creating my own grids And if you want to learn more about Nicholas and his work, there are links to his website and his social media pages in the show description. But his website is theluminouspearl.com. He's also on Facebook and Instagram under theluminouspearl. And if you go to Amazon, you can look at his author page and see all of his books that he has written. So I thank you all for being here. If you want to reach out to Nicholas, if you enjoyed the interview, please share. Send this link to the podcast to your friends, your family, anyone you think that would enjoy it. Reach out to Nicholas, let him know if you appreciated the information he provided and remember to always journey in love.